Welcome to the Deadhead Cannabis Show, everybody. Jim Marty here from snowy Colorado. And I've got my partner, Larry Michigan, up in Chicago. Hey, Jim, how you doing today? Good. How's things in Chicago? Cold and windy and a little stressful as we uh, we get down to the wire here on the, the application period for the adult use dispensary applications. Those are all due in less than 30 days now. How is all that going up there? Did the um, timetable is going to be met? You know, I think so. I'm sure we're going to have, you know, our standard share of last-minute scrambling. It's, it's almost impossible to not have it sometimes. But I'd like to think that most of the groups that I'm working with are, uh, are pretty well positioned right now to uh, be on schedule and have everything done with enough safety built in so that if we have any last-minute issues, we have a little bit of time to work them out. Some of the things that have been on the news about Illinois this week is that many of the cities and towns are opting out of having adult use dispensaries. Is that what you're seeing on the ground up there? It's becoming more and more of a problem as more and more communities are exercising their right to opt out. It's it's really creating problems in a number of different ways, but the biggest problem that it's creating are for those currently licensed medical dispensaries that have a right to apply for a license to make their facility a dual-purpose facility. So they can handle both medical and adult use. But now what's happening is these communities are saying we're not going to allow adult use, even though the medical dispensary is already in the community. So they're being deprived of their right to exercise, to, to, to turn into a dual-purpose dispensary. It's bad for them. It's bad for the state because that's one less adult use dispensary we're going to have on January 1. Right now, I believe there might be about 20 of them that have been uh, formally approved by the state, and now they're in various stages of build-out and uh, uh, getting prepared, but that's 20 out of 55, and that's going to be it when 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 everything starts on uh, January 1st. These are going to be the places where people are going to have to go if they're going to get adult use, and we're all hoping everything's going to be ready. However, we just had a new wrinkle that was thrown into the mix here. Uh, Jim, one of the things you know I know we've talked about is the importance that the social equity component, but what an important role that plays overall to the Illinois program. And right, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, some of the things that have um, been on the news about the social equity program is even though they're going to allocate some of the tax revenue to social equity programs, those programs and how that money is going to be spent have not been clearly identified. That's true, too. Unfortunately, that's typical for Illinois, so there's not a whole lot (laughs) we can do about that. The bigger problems that we're running into, of course, are the expected, right? Everybody's trying to figure out a way to scam the system, to pair up with a social equity applicant. The law says the social equity applicant has to own 51% of the company and has to have control of the company in order for you to qualify for the social equity points. A lot of people are looking for ways to kind of contract around that, figure out other ways to do it. And so one of the uh, aldermen of the Chicago City Council got a little upset by what was going on, and he has now proposed uh, an ordinance to be considered by the Chicago City Council or at least one of the committees on the Chicago City uh, Council, 
to suspend commencement of adult use dispensaries in the city of Chicago for an additional six months after January 1st. Wow. I don't think that I don't think it's going to have the support that it needs to pass. But it, it speaks to the fact that there are people that are not uh, entirely pleased with the way things are going. And it's going to be really incumbent upon the state to do whatever it can to try to satisfy all the various groups and, and you know, to, to show people that, A, they can do this and it'll be legitimate. And that, you know, B, that, you know, it's going to work to the benefit of people like they say it is. And, you know, I think a lot of people are for it and would certainly hope that to be the case. There's just a lot of concern as to whether that's the way it's really going to play out or not. Well, it's going to be interesting to see. Switching over to Missouri, um, we should be hearing who of the applicants will be awarded licenses right. in Missouri. They're supposed to have it done by the end of the year, uh, but there is talk yep. that it might be the first or second week of 2020. Yeah, they've already extended the deadline. So what I say to that is, A, they obviously got a lot of uh, applications. And B, good. I'd much prefer that they take more time and review it carefully that you just try to skip through and say, well, we have to award it by a certain date. You're right. No, a week or two is not going to make any difference in Missouri because this is the start of their medical program there. So unlike Illinois, where they've already got the medical cultivation in place for their adult use, Missouri's starting from scratch. So exactly. it's going to be six months to yep. eight months at least before people have their first medical harvest in Missouri. They've got buildings to build. They've got lights to hang they got staff to put Same into place. Here. Yeah, exactly right. It, it, it does take time. And, you know, it's interesting, going back to what you were saying about the communities, sometimes it's hard for the communities to understand that as well. You know, they, they kind of have this uh, image of everything coming together all at once magically on a certain day. The, those are the communities that are, are, are willing to allow adult use to take place. And actually, you know, one of the, one of the I don't know if it's, if it's funny or if it's sad or if it's all of them, uh, I've started going to some of these community meetings now my associate, John Brooks, who works with me, uh, lives out in Westchester, and they were having their community meeting to make a determination as to whether or not they were going to allow adult use because a group had indicated they wanted to be licensed to operate a dispensary in the community. And what was really amazing to me, Jim, was the level of misunderstanding and, and, and misinformation that was being conveyed by the opponents, uh, the, the, the people who wanted to say no adult use, really kind of shocking in the sense that it was it was just shy of being reefer madness type of arguments there were well there i went on google and i found out that there's some people who say it can cause schizophrenia and i went on google and i found out that all the kids start smoking a lot more and i went on google and i found out that the the rate of auto accident deaths went up the, the council was very nice and ultimately gave me a chance to speak you almost don't know what to say in that situation, right? Because you, you have to be polite, you have to be respectful. It's you know, it's kind of almost uh, you know trying to argue against utter nonsense. And, and luckily, this this community board uh, was very willing to listen to what I had to say. And in fact, was asking for follow up. I'll, I'll give a a cheap and shameless plug here, really quickly, to Paul Armentano, who's one of the uh, assistant uh, officers for Normal. And he has a book out with two other guys whose names I should know and I never remember. Basically, it's called, if marijuana isn't so bad, why is everybody driving us to drink? And it talks about all the hypocrisy that we have and all the misunderstanding. And it goes about it, debunks these arguments one by one, and it provides full citations to everything they're saying. So you can actually read the argument, go see what the source is, and then you can go use the argument and know that you've got it backed up. And it's a wonderful book. This, this community asked me, 
and I, I mentioned the book to them. They said, can you please send us a copy? We'd like to see it. My thinking is, you have a community that's willing to take that kind of time and show that kind of interest. I'll send them books all day long. Right. Well, a few things, you know, here in Colorado, we're still kind of the leading state in the country for legal adult use, and our traffic fatalities are flatlined. I think we're going to come in just under 600 fatalities this year in Colorado, which is the same as has been for the last five years or so. So no spike in, yep. you know, traffic fatalities here in Colorado. I don't have the statistics yep. at my fingertips, but my understanding is teenage use in Colorado is down or or flat, but not rising. Every state that has introduced adult use, every state teenage smoking has gone down. Well, it makes it a little harder for them to get than the corner dealer, as we've discussed on past podcasts. And, right. Nobody wants to smoke the same thing their mom is smoking. So, you know, I, I get it. Yeah. It makes sense to me. It, 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 loses, it loses its rebelliousness. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what's really up among teenagers is vaping, and that's not necessarily marijuana-based vaping. It's nicotine. Right. There's all sorts of stuff going on with vaping, and since we all last talked, I don't know if anybody saw, there was a new update on the vaping crisis, and now, in, a, in addition to vitamin C acetate, which they're still saying shouldn't be used and isn't good, they now think they've discovered a possible link between the illnesses and the metals that are used to solder the joints in the body of the vape pen. And that when the vape pens heat up, that they may be causing those metals to give off gases. They're, and they're suspecting that that might now be the cause as well. The, the, the bad news is obviously, you know, the crisis is real. And there's people out there who have gotten very ill. And every now and then another person, unfortunately, succumbs to it and dies. But I think that this type of research and study is really important because, A, we've got to get this fixed so that people don't get sick. B... People have to understand this is not the excuse they've been looking for to say no marijuana in my community. This is not a marijuana issue. It is an issue that involves marijuana because of the technologies that it's being paired up with, but it's not a THC issue. Yep. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, you have to take heart in Trump's President Trump's recent comments that he didn't want to ban vaping or vaping products because it would just lead to a black market. Well, absolutely. Yes. And let me just say this, because you and I do a very good job of not talking politics. People can say whatever they want about President Trump, and Lord knows it's been said. This is the man who signed the bill that made up legal in this country. He signed the first step back. It's going to let 180,000 low-level drug dealers out of prison this year. No doubt about it. And you know what? People get credit for the things they do, and regardless of anything else he may do, I certainly give him credit for that, and I I do like the way he handled the vaping crisis uh, because he's right. It's just going to drive everything back into the black market, and that's where the problem really exists in the first place. Yes, and as I've said many times, this is not a partisan issue, legal cannabis for adults, medical cannabis. There's plenty of um, libertarian Republicans as well as social conservatives who are against cannabis. The Democrats also have plenty of uh, issues, too, and case in point is uh, the Illinois situation we were already talking about on this podcast. I agree with everything you just said. Sometimes I go to the opposite direction with with it, right, which is that Democrats and Republicans all like to get high. Yes, I, I suppose for some people on both sides of the spectrum, there is a morality issue involved with it. There is a proprietary issue involved with it. And whether you or I agree with that or not, I get that. We talked about how the Safe Banking Act passed the House with huge bipartisan support. 
to the Rohrabacher Farm Amendment, which was a significant step taken to help curtail the DEA. Senator Rohrabacher is a Republican. Marijuana is a wonderful thing in that regard, and I love the way that it brings people together and gives them a common cause to fight for. And quite frankly, my hope is if you could find common ground on that, maybe you can carry it over and find some common ground on some of the other issues on which common ground would be a good thing. Well, moving on, because I want to touch on a couple things before this podcast is over and talk some music. But before we do, as we come to the end of 2020, uh, some very interesting uh, tax court cases have come out. Larry, the proper name of that California case is the Northern California Small Business Company versus the Internal Revenue Service or the Commissioner of IRS. Yep. What's interesting about that case is the dissent. So once again, the taxpayer lost. 280 has been upheld yet again in the federal courts. However, really good dissent by one of the judges, I don't have his name right in front of me, suggesting that tax rates in excess of 100%. And trust me, we see it every day. Every day, um, people are in excess of 100% tax brackets. We have some clients who have figured out how to be profitable, not getting all their deductions allowed. But for many of our clients, and, and Bridge West uh, has several hundred cannabis clients, as does Hope and Law, they find themselves in excess of 100% tax brackets. And is that not an excess of fine or penalty under the Eighth Amendment? And one of the judges, right. um, that was his dissent. So then move that along to Harborside, who's appealing 11 or $12 million worth of taxes related to 280E. I'll hand it over to you, Larry, because you're the lawyer here, and get your opinion on those two cases. You and I have had this conversation before. We're taking a, a, a rule that was really designed for an entirely different situation and trying to apply it into the cannabis industry and never really been able to see all of the justification for any of it in the first place. But I think you're absolutely right. You know, when you talk about this issue that you're mentioning, if you're asking people to pay taxes on something that's, you know, greater than what they're, what, what they can do, that does begin to raise serious constitutional problems. And let me say this, the D'Angelo brothers are an interesting pair. And I know that there's some people in the, in the, in the industry who think very highly of them. There's other people in the industry who may not think as highly of them. But as a lawyer, I will say this. They are indispensable, and not just them, but some of these other groups that are fighting, too. They're indispensable to the ultimate success of this industry, because without people who are willing to spend their own money to fight these battles for the good of the industry, we would just always be defaulting back to the government's position, and we would never get anywhere. Now, I don't know that they'll win or they'll really get where they want to get this time around, but i got to tell you, Jim, for an account, you made an excellent legal point. This is the way new law is often created, is that somebody writes a dissenting opinion, and five cases later, all of a sudden, we have the majority accepting what was previously a dissenting opinion, and now it does, in fact, swing back around in the direction where we want it to go, right? Right. Some of these judges just don't know, but after they hear two or three cases and they begin to see, they see another judge who's figured it out, but couldn't convince his partners, this is, this is how new law is created and how judges over time gradually change their opinions. We've already made great strides on 280E. I certainly know you've been out on the front line fighting for it, along with a lot of other people. And it's just a matter of time, but we need the people who are willing to spend the money and the professionals who are willing to take those cases, because that's how we're going to solve this problem once and for all. 
Yes, and it'll be very satisfying for me because I, seven or eight years ago, explained this to a tax court judge. Uh, I believe it was in the Alpenglow or the Feinberg case, which were some of the first Colorado tax court cases on 280. Perfectly, very simple example. Uh, recently had a client who made $500,000 in their adult use marijuana business in Colorado, and their non-deductibles were $1.5 million, which my next sentence to them was, hey, I need you need to consult with me about how to get that number down. So in a year when they made $500,000, they paid tax on $2 million. Well, the tax on $2 million at a 40% tax rate is about $800,000. So in a year when they made $500,000, they owed eight hundred. Bridge West, we have several clients that owe over a million dollars to the IRS, and, and they have no way of ever paying that. Um, so we're reaching yep. out to try to get these cases settled on a what the IRS calls a program, where they'll say, okay, yep. look, if you have the same facts and circumstances, we're going to try to get all these cases settled. Uh, there was a case back in the 80s or maybe in the 1970s. I don't know if you remember the master recording contracts cases where they had all these tax yep. shelters on master recording tapes back when they had videotapes and it was a yep. total sham. A lot of people got suckered in, and the IRS put out a program to get all these people to get their cases settled and get them on the on the path to making money and an after-tax basis again. So anyway, uh, yeah, we've got a lot of good things um, going on at this time. Hopefully, uh, Harborside will, will be the big victor here and defeat 280E. As we come and towards the end here, we should talk a little music. Well, before we do, I just want to throw out one last thing on the cannabis side. As long as we're talking about good news, Michigan formally kicked off its adult use program. That's right. That's um, right. And, and now you can go to Michigan. They have adult use now, as you know, we expect in a lot of places. I don't know if you saw the news reports, but they showed the dispensaries with people like literally going around the block twice on a cold, snowy day or whatever it was. But people were like, oh, no, we're out. We're here. What other business has that kind of clientele? And, uh, yeah, we'll take that up on the next podcast, which I hope to do live yep. next week from uh, MJ BizCon in Las Vegas. Uh, I'll be staying at the Westgate, which is attached to the convention center. So I'm looking forward to uh, getting out there and seeing the state of the industry here at the end of 2019. But you got to see a recent Warren Haynes show to close out with some musical news. As a matter of fact, I did. And we, we spend a lot of time on this show talking about the dead, talking about fish, Tedeschi trucks, and rightfully so. They're all, I mean, they're, they're, they're the, the backbone of the jam band industry. They're the people we all love and we want to go and see. But a guy we don't spend a lot of time talking about is Warren Haynes. And I will tell you, right now, in my opinion, Warren Haynes is the greatest living rocker we have. Not saying he's the best guitar player, not saying he has the best voice, but the, the stuff that this guy puts out, right? He did the... The, the, the symphony orchestra rendition of the Grateful Dead music. And he plays with Government Mule, and he played with the Allman Brothers, and he, he's, you know, he's all over the place. And a couple of years ago, uh, he put together a band, and they came to the Chicago Theater and a few other places, and it was for the 40th anniversary of The Last Waltz. And they, they did their own versions of a number of tunes that, that were played at that concert. They brought in some of the talent that appeared at that concert. Dr. John was there. A few others. They had Garth Hudson, the, the keyboard player from the bass, who's one of my all-time favorites. John Medeski on keyboards. Jamie Johnson on guitar, who I had heard of but never seen before. It was tremendous. They come out, they open up with Up on Cripple Creek and just dive right in and, and play it. a lot of the tunes. But then they, you know, they start bringing out the guests to do some of the, 
you know, the back catalog tune. So Cyril Neville came out, and Dave Malone from the Radiators. Uh, and they did a great, great job of uh, Who's You Love. Uh, it was just absolutely amazing. My notes are, wow, great mid-song jam. They, they just mm. uh, cranked it out like nobody's business. They came out in the second set, John Medeski playing the role of Garth Hudson from a couple of years ago, opened with a tremendous organ solo, and then they jumped into chest fever. And when I read a good article about that lately, they talked about the band's performance at Woodstock, and they opened with chest fever with Garth Hudson doing this really long, extended um, keyboard solo on a Hammond B3. And they said that that, you know, many people credit that with formally bringing you know, the Hammond B3 squarely into the minds of the rock and roll scene uh, because of the, the tremendous solo that uh, that Garth played at Woodstock. But Modesky, uh, who's always been one of my favorites, uh, he was great, did a great solo there. Um, and then another t- a tune that Jerry does quite a bit with his uh, solo band, Mystery Train. Uh, Dave Malone came yeah, back yeah. out and did that. Um, then they brought out a guy named Bobby Margolin, who's named to famous, he was the guitar player for the Muddy Waters Pine Top Perkins trio, and and he brought out Muddy Waters' youngest son with him, Joseph uh, Bojo Morganfield, to do a great version of Caledonia. And um, then you know, at the end, they did the traditional uh, encore with everybody on stage doing the wait, and I shall be released. They did they played for about four hours, and uh-huh. just a tremendous, tremendous show. Uh, I, I think this particular version of this tour is over. And I kind of tell people, if they're ever coming by your way again in a year or two to do it, you have to go see this. Warren is great. The talent he brings out is tremendous. It's a lot of fun. Whether you like, whether you've ever listened to the band or not, it's a great show. If you've listened to the band, it's a real treat. Uh, what was the venue? Played at the Chicago Theater. So a okay. lovely venue. Uh, you know, uh, we had great seats uh, uh, in the middle of the first section of the balcony. So we had a great view of the stage. You could see everybody coming off and on and everything that was going on. And, uh, yeah, really a lot of fun. Really, really nice. And it was interesting because the very next night, you know, I, I went out to hear music almost to the other extreme, right? Elvis Costello, uh, who I really love. Uh, but, but Elvis is known as the king of, you know, the three-minute pop songs. And, you know, mm-hmm. does great songs. But one of the things I love about Elvis that a lot of people don't know is Elvis is a huge deadhead. And he yes. and Jerry really got along well and, and, and would play together from time to time. And the story is that Elvis fell in love with the dead at one of the 1972 Europe 72 shows in England. Yes. By, next, by our next show, I could probably remember which one it was. But the story he tells is he went out there, he sat in the rain all day, but was so mesmerized by the dead that he forgot that it was raining. Mm-hmm. And... You know, it, it, it's great. I, I really love Elvis, and I love that he's got this uh, this connection, you know, to the dead, and, and kind of channels their energy a little bit. There's a, actually a photograph somewhere where um, Elvis Costello was pointing to him in front of the stage at that show. It was an outdoor show, which why the rain mattered uh, outside of England, right. the UK, that the dead had, had yep. did on part of the. It was either the '72 or the '74 Europe show, but yeah, right. Elvis Costello is a big deadhead. Right uh, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, saw Elvis on his first U.S. tour in 1978 or 79. And um, wow. for some reason, he pitched a fit three songs in, started kicking over the equipment, and then marched off stage and never came back. So he's known for having a bit well, of a temperamental disposition, too. 
he is. And, 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 and I've seen, I, I saw him in the Hollywood Bowl, and he basically played about 30 minutes without saying a word, got up and walked off, and 10 minutes later they turned on the lights. Nobody could figure out what happened, and he, and he was done. So, you know, yeah. it, it, it'd be hit or miss with him, but when he's on, boy, he's on. Well, I think we're coming to the end of our time slot, so uh, we'll look forward to picking this conversation up again next week. So for yep. everybody out there listening, uh, goodbye from Jim and Larry and the uh, Deadhead Cannabis Show. Talk to you all very soon. Thank you, Jim. Bye, everybody. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.